to your highly gifted rector and my friend, thank you for this invitation, which means the world to us. If I may take a personal moment without bursting into tears, <laughs> we continue to love you, each of you, beyond your imaginings. It runs, I know, the risk of sounding flowery, but I have no other way of saying it. We left a large measure of our hearts in this parish. What I'm fond of calling this remarkable circle of love, which is St. Michael and All Angels Church, to have been at the helm of this place for 10 and a half years of its 76-year history remains one of the great privileges of my life. And I thank you for that trust, for your patience, good humor, kindness, generous spirit, and above all else, your love over that span of time and beyond. Thank you. Now, I have no doubt that much will be written and said in the course of this year's celebrations, and I'd like my contribution to focus on one primary theme, your ministry and mine. In literature, one of the finest examples of this is found in Victor Hugo's Les Miserables, and very specifically in the exchanges between Jean Valjean and Bishop Muriel. Appearing at the bishop's door, frightened, on the run, recently physically battered, malnourished, unclean, this cleric provides for Valjean's physical needs, but also begins the process of ministering to those deeper wounds of the escaped prisoner, the renewal, the healing finally of his very soul. Do you recall? Out of fear, without wanting to reveal his identity, the escaped prisoner Valjean will not immediately reveal his name for fear. With a look of deep serenity, the bishop gazes directly into his eyes, and in their initial exchange, he says, you need not tell me who you are. This is not my house. It is the house of Christ. It does not ask any comer whether he has a name, but whether, rather, does he have an affliction? You are suffering. You are hungry and thirsty. Be welcome. Whatever is here is yours. What need have I to know your name? Your name is my brother. And then there is that poignant place in the tale upon which the whole story pivots when the police have returned Valjean to the bishop's residence and he has been freely given two silver candlesticks to add to the silver plate and to the 
um, knives and forks that he has taken from the night before, the bishop draws near to him, to the kneeling Valjean, and he says in a low voice, do not forget, never forget. You have within you to be now an honest man. And he continues with the same air of solemnity. Jean Valjean, my brother, you no longer belong to evil, but to good. It is your soul that I buy from you. I withdraw you from black thoughts and the spirit of perdition, and I give it to God. And in that moment, and in that ministry, the soul of Valjean begins to be healed. Something within him is lightened and focused. Christ so frequently does that for each of us. We come here often battered or confused or weary, hungry for something to feed, heal, inspire, and renew our souls. In a study of by the Alban Institute, a think tank, if you will, of the Episcopal Church and now at Duke University. The question was posed by the researchers, what is it that motivates people to come to church? And the first question, was it the music? Or was it the preaching? or the architecture, or the denominational loyalty, or the proximity to home or work, or was it the simple fellowship that draws one to church? And what the researchers were surprised to discover was that it was none of these things. What people yearn for is the transcendent, a sense of mystery and wonder and awe. What we long for in this place is an encounter with the living God, a sense that is so well illustrated in Michelangelo's Sistine Chapel fresco of God and humankind meeting, transcendence is what we yearn for. And in that, something within us is renewed. Something within us is suddenly healed. And we are enlivened to leave this place as Christ's ministers and to live our lives only to the hilt. For that to occur, we need to come, all of us, within these walls, fully alive and prepared each time to engage the boundless wisdom, love, forgiveness, 
and soul's renewal that God and God alone, God in Christ affords to us each both mysteriously and practically. For without that deep desire each time, without that focus, we lack that which is required in fulfilling any kind of effective ministry, you and me. Like our Lord and Bishop Muriel, we hold each of us the power to heal the human soul. Our own and that of others. And that is the essence of our ministry, yours and mine. And lived out to the extreme, lived out to its fullest. It is outrageous. It is impractical. It is unrealistic. It is countercultural. It can seem beyond us and unachievable, which is why we need God and why we need one another and why we need a vibrant St. Michael and All Angels Church in the city of Dallas and why our earthly life needs to be founded on one simple biblical admonition. This is my commandment. Love one another. It is, you see, God's love abiding in us that allows us in any way to focus and live out our ministries. Now, here's a true story. I've been, in no time of late, I don't know, but one thing I have been able to do is read a lot about Lincoln. And it's very, it's been quite wonderful. You know, there's more written about Lincoln than all the other presidents combined. Uh, amazing. Anyway, true story. In the course of the war, it was Lincoln's custom to attend the New York Avenue uh, Presbyterian Church, which is just down uh, um, on New York Avenue where it begins um, and Pennsylvania Avenue turns. Um, and his custom was to go on Wednesday evenings to avoid crowds, and he would sit in the pastor's office. That was Dr. Gurley, who was his friend and confidant and who had extended a, a superb pastoral ministry to his wife, when, to Mary, when they lost their child there in the White House. Lincoln would sit in the study and they cocked the door open so that no one could see him, but he could see the pulpit. On one Wednesday evening, as Lincoln returned to the White House in the company of John Hay, one of his two secretaries, Hay asked the president, what did you think of tonight's sermon? Well, Lincoln responded, it was brilliantly conceived, biblical, relevant, and powerfully delivered. So you believe it to be a fine sermon, Hay inquired. No, Lincoln replied. It failed. It failed because my friend failed to ask anything great of us. Not ever wanting 
to fail any of you. Let me, in this sermon, ask something great of you. A renewed commitment this day to your specific ministry as a child of God. Today, in this place, and I will return to this in just a moment, But first of all, remember about yourselves, as the preacher must constantly remember about himself. Our love for another gives us extraordinary power to re-energize another's life, casting out some sense of despair or confusion or insecurity in those who are the most beloved in our lives and yet to all the people we may meet and have contact. Our patient capacity to simply listen gives us the means to restore some of the hurt and to do away with the hurt and the pain and to render in our counsel some sense of recovery and hope and possibility. Our willingness, oh, and this is so important, our willingness to truly forgive deeply, entirely forgive, to take an obvious offense and set it aside, renders to us the power to heal that which may well be so broken, so suffering in another life. Our generosity, our sacrifice can extinguish some Afghani refugees' anguish, some Haitians' hunger, some Louisianans' poverty, or some South Dallasites' illiteracy fear or resentment or distress. And a word of warning from your, I hate this term, former rector. (laughs) A word of warning to you and to me, the preacher. We must, all of us, always be on guard not to domesticate the Christian faith and in turn compromise our ministries. This is radical and demanding stuff. Jesus calls us to take up our cross, to love others sacrificially, to push back the boundaries of convention and convenience, to take risks in the exercise of our faith, and in all of that, to ultimately minister lavishly and applying my favorite word from my Texas lexicon, live our lives bodaciously. (laughs) And why? As the ancient Greek playwright Sokulus reminds us, we do so to tame the savageness 
of man and make gentle the life of the world. Now let me be specific and ask that something great of you. Come today, today, come to communion fully recognizing that penetratingly transcendent moment in which you receive the sacrament. Come as perhaps the most critically vital part of these months of celebration. Come and pledge anew your soul to what I'm fond of calling that mad love affair born in us when we reach out to Christ and we are met by him. Do that with hands extended in the shape of a cross. Not to know happiness, but to know joy, which is to know you are living in rhythm with the living God, personified, made known to us, God's greatest gift, who is Jesus Christ. And do that. Do that so that you may at some point, as this earthly life inevitably ebbs to an end, do that so that you may hear in the distance God say unto you, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into my kingdom now and for eternity. Amen. Amen. We love you.